Start of hour number two here on Sports Talk. Welcome back, everybody. Steve Kaplowitz with you. And, hey, excited about a special guest who's going to be leading us off. You hear him all the time on ESPN Radio. In fact, he's going to be uh, starting a new permanent gig, 2 to 4, leading right up to when we go on the air at 4 o'clock, along with two-time WNBA All-Star Cheney Oguamake. He's Mike Golick Jr., and he's uh, with us uh, here on Sports Talk. Mike, uh, good to have you on the show, and uh, congratulations on uh, what's going to be, I'm sure, a, a great opportunity for you and Cheney. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, no, very excited about that. Obviously, Cheney is someone I've been fortunate to know for a few years now. She would come on when I was working early, early mornings before Mike and Mike and then before what became Golik and Wingo. She was on with me at, you know, 5 o'clock Eastern, and I figure if you can get along with somebody and make you know, competent radio at that time in the morning, both of us, you know, in our early, you know, late 20s at that point, I feel like now we're going to have the afternoon, the full benefit of sleep. It's really going to be a good time. She's an unbelievable talent and such a great friend. And uh, looking forward to hanging out with her for a few hours every afternoon now. I think uh, the, the great part is is that uh, the banter is what we're really looking forward to. You're both ex-athletes, and that seems to be something that ESPN is is going with right now, especially pairing uh, Jay and Keyshawn together in morning drive and now putting uh, you and Chanae together in afternoon drive. Yeah, I think that's always been a cool part of this is certainly there's a little bit of the rivalry. She's a Stanford alum. I'm a Notre Dame alum, so obviously they've been one of our West Coast Pac-12 rivals for a while now but just like you said to be able to do it in a setting where you know forget years ago when you know my own dad kind of broke down that barrier of former athletes getting into the sports talk radio business in the way that we hadn't really seen in that way before to now have two of us in that scenario just getting to have that conversation amongst ourselves and and we're going to have a ton of voices involved in all this we have so many great analysts around espn and outside that we're going to help we're fortunate to have so many great friends in that regard but we're looking forward to bringing a locker room conversation outside. I think that as I talked to her, both of our favorite thing in part about playing sports was the chance to sit around and have a lot of these same debates that we all have on radio in public about sports and about our favorite athletes in those locker room settings. And so to bring that same energy now to a national stage is something we're both really excited about and think going to go really well. Chene and Golick Jr. will uh, debut Monday, August 17th, uh, 2 o'clock here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Mike Golick Jr. joining us now to begin our second hour of the program. Was this something you always thought about, even uh, during your football days at Notre Dame? Had you always kind of wanted to maybe get into sports radio, sports television, and broadcasting in general? Yeah, I think I knew from the time I was in high school. I was always, you know, a, a chubby kid who liked to hit people and who liked to talk a lot. And I looked and I said, well, my dad is a lot of those same things. we got a pretty similar personality, and I always wanted to be like him. And so it just seemed like what I always you know, loved doing was holding court in the locker room, having these conversations, even with my dad and his coworkers when I was a kid, in trying to do that. So I got to Notre Dame. I got to be part of, you know, at the infancy, Notre Dame's digital media department, and taking fans on those behind-the-scenes look at our team, our season, the story of so many of the players involved in there and trying to really shed light on those things while I was still a player. And I think that's why I really started to see in practice, man, getting to share the stories of the athletes I went to work with every day. And now the athletes in a position that I once was in, the chance to tell their story and do it in a way that's you know, fair than I would have appreciated when I was a player is a great responsibility and something I have really always had a passion for. We made the announcement that we were going to ESPN Radio almost 10 years ago. It was, uh, t- it'll be 10 years ago in, in December. And ironically, when we were planning this, we tried to figure out um, how we were going to do it. And when you came into El Paso for the Hyundai Sun Bowl, uh, you know, in that big matchup uh, going up uh, against uh, Miami, we thought, you know, this would be perfect. We can get uh, Mike Golick, who's going to be here to watch his son play, come down and make the announcement. We arranged it. He arrived, uh, and we we did it from a a bar uh, in East El Paso. He made it official, and now here we are. We've come full circle because we're interviewing you about a new show that's going to be airing uh, in a couple of weeks uh, starting at 2 o'clock. It's amazing. It really is wild how it all has come full circle, and not for nothing, what an incredible experience that was there. And you can ask any of my teammates, the kindness and hospitality that we received from the whole community in El Paso from the minute we touched down there 
was second to none. You guys were smart to lure my dad to a bar for that. He cannot resist the call of that. And just overall, I mean, to, to couple that with getting to go down there and getting to beat a longtime Notre Dame rival in Miami the way they did, because I don't know if you remember, it was snowing at kickoff of that game, and I'll never forget, we're going out there in the tunnel, and we're both side-by-side of the teams, and, you know, a game that's 32 degrees with some light snow is a slow Tuesday in South Bend, but we looked over at all of those Miami players, had all their cold gear on, and were huddled together and looked miserable, and we said, oh, okay, this game's over now, and it, it bore out on the field, but uh, it was a hell of an experience, like you said, uh, uh, a great bit of, uh, uh, of irony here that you know, you guys are now helping me make the announcement after Dad was able to do it uh, on your guys' end so many years ago. So very, very cool. It's so funny you said that because you're right. When that game came out, you were in short sleeves and acted like it was going to be 100 degrees in the summer in El Paso, and Miami looked absolutely uncomfortable. And I remember it because you could just tell they, they didn't they didn't want to be there because the weather was just not what they were used to. And it absolutely played to your advantage from the opening kickoff that game. It, it, it really did. The only thing that I wasn't quite prepared for down there was the fact that the stadium was at elevation. So obviously, you know, we were playing at the home of UTEP down there and we got out there for the first bowl practice. And you know, bowl practice, you're coming off of a bit of a hiatus. You have 15 practices leading up to it for every team. It's sort of like an extra round of spring football for the coaches. And so you're working hard and all those things, but it's just a little more spread out. We got there that first practice, and I'm sucking wind. I'm like, I trained. I worked out for all this. I should be all right. What's going on? And they told us after. They're like, Mike, you realize we're at pretty decent elevation down here. I thought it was the most out of shape I had ever felt after that first practice. And thankfully adjusted and the rest of us like you said uh, adjusted pretty well but it was a it was a bit eye-opening not as eye-opening as the weather for Miami but very close Mike tell me this um there's a lot going on with college football right now the last couple of days have been fascinating since the big 12 made it official what they're going to be doing and now we've got all the power fives and group of fives not only uh working out their schedules but now we're starting to get players that are forming alliances that want better treatment whether it's uh to ensure their safety in the pandemic a cut of the of the money like the pac-12 we've never seen this before and we're not just talking about a couple of players there's four hundred in the Pac-12, a thousand uh, in the Big Ten that have already put their groups together. This is an unprecedented time that we're currently involved in with college football, assuming we're even able to get a season starting, uh, uh, you know, here in September. Yeah, and, and, and I think we're going to get a season starting, whether it's able to finish or not. We've seen with some of the outbreaks in certain schools and the difficulties they've had with college kids being college kids is going to make that pretty difficult, among other things. But as far as the athletes finding their voice side of this, I, I, I've been watching like a proud parent. It, it, these things weren't talked about like this when I was in college, you know, eight, ten years ago. This is something where the learning that's gone on here, think about from the start of this summer where you had players like Trevor Lawrence, the best quarterback in college football, speaking out and supporting his teammates on issues of racial injustice very publicly before the head coach at the school had even said anything or made a comment and everything that happened there. You saw Marvin Wilson holding his coach accountable publicly at Florida State with Mike Norvell. You saw the Texas athletes band together saying, we wanted the eyes of Texas, uh, you know, done is the song. We want all these changes at the school. And finally, now you get to the crescendo at the end where you get the Pac-12, the Big Ten, in all of this the amount of learning, conversation, and organization that's gone on behind closed doors with these athletes is incredibly encouraging because it's only going to get better. Like, yes, people see a lot of these demands and they think, oh, they're asking for too much. Like, this is a negotiation, and it's their first time ever trying this. And think about how far I've just mentioned they've come in one summer and now stack years on top of that because what they've seen is when we speak and we are organized, People are forced to listen, and especially in the current environment, they've realized that and are taking advantage. I have an eye pointed directly at the SEC, wondering if and when we'll hear anything there, because we know at the top, when it comes to Greg Sankey and that conference, when they speak, people listen. When those athletes, and if they do choose to speak up, that would be a major mover in all of this. But it is no small potatoes that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are certainly involved, and I applaud these kids for being able to organize this for talking and just understanding you need and deserve a voice in all of this, especially when it comes to your health and safety right now.
The NCAA Board of Directors uh, have not pulled the plug yet on uh, Division I fall sports championships, which would be outside of football, but Division Two and Three are done. Um, we're hearing that uh, the biggest worry for them is if they do decide to pull the plug, how do you justify playing football when all the other athletes are not able to do it? There's also talk that uh, the Power Fives could eventually separate from the NCAA if they get frustrated by the Board of Governors and just do their own thing. I mean, that's what I'm saying right now, Mike. It is a crazy time. Uh, in college sports and could you even imagine if the power fives decided to form their own group and just separate from the ncaa yeah i think this summer was kind of a hit to that idea just because they displayed such an inability to work together on something where they really had a shared interest in a lot of this you even saw and it was sort of a microaggression when the acc comes out and says we're going to do 10 conference games plus one out-of-conference game that's got to be in state. And the SEC makes their announcement not long after that, clearly probably a little bit perturbed that the ACC wasn't willing to wait with and work with them and said, nah, we're just going to do conference games in all of this. So all of these announcements rolling out at different points, the lack of uniformity, it's a tough blow because I think this was a summer where I looked at the Power Five and said, if you are going to start to think about this, now would be a good time. I think under more ideal circumstances, we're absolutely moving that way. The NCAA's lack of ability to go out and punish anything other than recruiting violations and things that, you know, quite frankly, most people look at and say the athletes deserve at this point is sort of laughable. They're disorganized. And bottom line is their models become outdated. Outside of having structure in place at all these schools, they offer next to nothing to them. And so the conferences are realizing that. And I think once we get a vaccine and we're on the other side of a lot of these base-level needs for college sports, you're going to see the Power 5 commissioners kind of get together and go, all right, what do we all learn through this? We all need to do a better job of working together because when it comes to it, the NCAA is just going to punt the ball back to our hands at every possible juncture. Can you see a spring football season take place in college football? I can see it. Like It's got all the problems that everyone's mentioned right there. You're going to, and we're already seeing an exodus or starting to see an exodus of the first-round type talent that's going to be on a lot of these teams. We haven't seen it from necessarily a college football playoff contender, but we're working toward that. And if we got to the spring, those athletes could and should be gone and preserve what's going to come with their pro season. The biggest difficulty would be you would have to adjust the 2021 season. Asking to play even an abbreviated spring schedule and then go back into a normal fall would be insanity. And it would be, especially amongst the health and safety conversation we're having right now, contrary to everything you would be trying to tell us you stood for. So, that would be the difficulty amongst other things. The scheduling would be a nightmare, but we know all of this is about buying time. Every move that's been made, whether it's been cutting programs like we saw at Stanford, you know, the delay to the start of the season that some of the conferences have gone with, it's all about buying time and trying to learn more. And if you have this now, what appears to be as a fail-safe the spring season, you have the ability to learn more and maybe get to the point of a vaccine that would allow you to recoup a lot more revenue because we know that's what drives all this if you can get more fans back in stands where right now it seems like they're going to be rightly and understandably playing in front of empty stadiums for the most part. As we wrap it up with Mike Olick Jr. here on Sports Talk, tell me what it was like for you a week ago, the emotional end of uh, your dad's uh, run, uh, and not only that, having the opportunity to have your mom there, your family, and, and, and it was you could just tell the emotion that was running through you, your dad, and everybody. Uh, how do you, you know, can you, can you kind of relay a little bit to our audience what that was like for you? Yeah, you know, you go into it with the best laid plans, and it's like you always hear, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. I talked about it with my family the day before, and we really were committed to making it a celebration, right? Like 22 years of doing something at a level no one else has ever done it in that time slot on the national stage, breaking down the barrier, like I said, of being an athlete going into that realm the way that my dad was, and just understanding that, you know, he's not, he's not dead. Like when we, and like I said, when we turn off the mics, I spent the rest of the weekend with my dad and my family. We all got to be around each other, and we'll still going forward. Dad will still have opportunities to be out in the public going forward, but we wanted to celebrate that time. But then you do look around and see my mom, who is you know a, a known crier and brought her tear towel down in the basement with us there. And you understand it, it's meant a lot to everybody. And, and seeing the outpouring of notes and support, whether it's from coworkers, people that have listened over the years, on, you know, the life moments that they were a part of and that my dad was a part of with them, having Mike and Mike on in the delivery room when people had their first kids, losing their own parents and turning to the show for a sense of family. And so that's what it had always been about. From the start of the show, my dad said, 
We want to make this a family show. We're going to talk about our kids and our wives and the things that go on on air. And so it felt right to come full circle again in all of this and have that same group that's now grown, that's now starting families of their own back together for the send-off there. Looking forward to Monday, August 17th. Chene and Golick Jr. debuts here, 2 o'clock, 600 ESPN El Paso. Mike, great stuff. Thanks for catching up with us, and uh, congratulations. Wish uh, you and Chene nothing but the best uh, on the new uh, venture. Thanks, Steve. Really appreciate it. Mike Golick Jr. as we continue here on Sports Talk. We'll come back with plenty more right after Charlie won. Stay with us, 600 ESPN El Paso. Back on Sports Talk as we continue here on a Thursday. This one's a real treat for you, folks. It's always nice when we have an opportunity to say hello to the voice of UTEP Sports. John Teicher, who uh, joins us uh, here on the phone lines right now as we continue on the program. John, great to have you back. And uh, man, oh man, um, I know as a sports fan, uh, you have to be loving life right now, having uh, just about everything with the exception of football at your disposal 24-7. No matter what you want to watch, it's there for you right now. Boy, it was awful for us sports fans over the last uh, three, four months in particular. Wasn't it, uh, Steve, until the recent uh, restart? Uh, nothing. Absolutely, completely dry, which is probably the first time ever we've we've all experienced that. So, uh, yeah, it's been terrific, and now uh, hopefully we'll have, uh, we'll have some college football to talk about before too long as well. What have you been doing during the pandemic before? Um you know, there was uh, starting to see sports come back, the resumption of of sports. I mean, I'll tell you right now, I started reading and uh, I haven't read this many books in a four month period in a long time. And I've just been diving into uh, book after book for me. Yeah. It's probably a good thing in that regard, Steve, same for me and a lot of uh, binge watching. In fact, uh, one of the greatest shows of all time, Steve, I had never even dabbed a, uh, a fingertip into uh, Breaking Bad, and had a chance to watch the whole thing. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking to myself, what was wrong with me? I mean, how in the world could I have avoided uh, watching uh, one of the great, uh, one of the great and most acclaimed series of uh, all time? So, a lot of that uh, as well. You know, it's interesting, too. People don't realize this, but, you know, your job is nonstop, even in the summers. You might take a little vacation time, but you're, you're working long days. It's probably tough. And as we work from home and, and transition uh, during the course of the pandemic, you'll find time to do more things and have a little more opportunities. Uh, and so I can understand how something like Breaking Bad was more accessible to you now than it's been before. Yeah, so in that respect, it was... Uh... It was a good thing, but uh, you never want to be too far away from your sports, uh, do you, Steve? Uh, particularly uh, baseball is supposed to be starting in, uh, in April or actually March and, and didn't start until July. And, of course, the NBA and NHL seasons uh, put on pause as we were approaching the playoffs. So it was, uh, it was a, a painful time, but uh, unfortunately they figured out a way to get back and uh, we're all, we're all uh, reaping the benefits of it now. And now the only question is going to be college football and college sports coming back. And look at what's happened over the last few days, just the developments that we've seen with the rest of the conferences now deciding on what their schedules are going to be. And some curveballs were definitely thrown. I think uh, the Big 12 deciding that the one non-conference game had to be a home game was a bit of a curve. And then the Mountain West threw a curveball when they decided that their 8-plus-2 schedule was going to start officially on uh, September 26th, a little later than everybody else. Well, if there's one saving grace uh, for, for UTEP, Steve, in this whole thing is uh, other than losing the uh, Texas Tech game, the ability to keep the game against uh, Texas. And it appears that that's going to be the case, and certainly that makes a whole lot of sense. Texas, obviously, the Longhorns would have had the opportunity to keep their home game against the University of uh, South Florida, but doesn't make uh, doesn't it make a whole lot more sense for the Longhorns program to take care of one of its own uh, fellow uh, in-state UT system program, the the UTEP Miners, and rather than having that money go to uh, our friends down in uh, in South Florida, it makes a whole lot more sense for uh, for UTEP to get that uh, payday. So, thankfully, it looks like that game uh, that game, uh, if we get there, is uh, is is still on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you said it. 
if we get there, which we'll talk about in a moment. But I, I like the idea of keeping it in the family, keeping it in the Texas system. Obviously, uh, they understand uh, just the importance of what this game really means to the, the budget and, and the big picture with everything. And, and now that it, it looks like Texas and UTEP is locked in, and of course, you got New Mexico State the following week. John, I'm starting to think more and more that we could see a 10-game schedule for UTEP instead of 12. And you want to know something? I'm fine with that. I think that in, in this particular year with the pandemic, that actually could work out uh, with the way the schedule is formed. Steve, if we can get 10 games uh, in this year, particularly uh, consecutively, as, as that would be, I think we'd have to consider this season to be a success, regardless of what the uh, results are. But uh, you just you just wonder. You see what's happened in, in Major League Baseball. Uh, you anticipate what might happen with the uh, the the NFL, and of course, the NBA and, and the NHL were able to do it with a with a bubble, which is the optimum, but obviously something that's it's not available to uh, the, the college, uh, the college programs. But uh, you know, kids being as they are, and uh, you can control their activities uh, uh, when they're in your facility on campus. But once they get off campus, uh, what's that going to look like? And certainly, I can remember back to my college days, and Steve, I know you remember yours as well. Uh, it's, uh, it's awfully tough for kids of that uh, age, age range to, to be as, as disciplined as. Uh, is there going to need to be in, in, in this particular circumstance? No doubt. Oh, by the way, um, I do remember my college days, but it does feel like it's been a lifetime ago. <laughs> yeah, it gets farther away each and every year. No doubt about it. We got John Teicher uh, with us uh, here on Sports Talk as we continue with uh, our, our conversation right now. Um, you know, Conference USA decided to go eight conference games, and, and let schools play as many as four non-conference if they so choose and things worked out. And I think that because so many of these group of five schools rely on, on money games and you know you don't want to limit those opportunities to make money, that's the good call from Conference USA. Whether or not teams can play 12 or close to it's a much different story, but were you happy with the fact that uh, the league allowed uh, their member institutions to try to stay with a full schedule if they could handle it? Well, absolutely, and of course, uh, for, for leagues like Conference USA and, and schools at its level, uh, Steve, the, the financial considerations are obviously a lot uh, more significant and a lot more dire than they are for the uh, for the power uh, schools and the power uh, conferences. So, yeah, I, I think it was wise for Conference USA to let the member schools play as many games as they could possibly arrange it. Steve, I still think it's possible for September 5th for the minors to do something. I know that uh, Athletics Director Jim Center and his staff are still working on uh, possibilities, uh, and they will have possibilities for that uh, September 5th date, uh, and very possibly in the in the Sun Bowl Stadium as well. So we'll see if any of those uh, any of those opportunities uh, might not work out. That's a tough decision, and I'm happy you brought that up for a minute because. We just saw today that Texas Tech is going to give Houston Baptist $400,000 to play them on um, the 12th. And, you know, that would that's taking ultimately the, the UTEP spot that would have been on the 5th uh, that they're now uh, giving to Houston Baptist. So if FCS schools generally get paid, you know, three, 400000 to to make a trip and, and play, um, uh, you know, a Division One program. Taish, since we don't know yet about seating capacity and we're a month out, is it? do you think it's a risky play to possibly have that game knowing that you're going to have to pay out and you don't know for sure yet if you're going to be able to have fans in the stands for that first game? Well, and that's, that, that's entirely going to dictate the decision specifically for a, a replacement game on September the 5th, what the payout would be, and obviously what your ability to recoup uh, some of that money uh, would be by uh, obviously fans in, in the stands. So uh, financially, whatever the miners do is going to have to make uh, is going to have to make sense. They're not going to be able to jump on anything just because it's available. It's going to make a perfect sense uh, in this scenario. More with John Teicher, voice of the Miners, as we continue here on Sports Talk. But first, let's get back to Adrian. He has this bottom of the hour Sports Center update.
First Life Federal Credit Union and 600 ESP in El Paso, along with our Town Square Media family of stations, present the back-to-school program benefiting the Great Khalid Foundation. We're teaming up to secure 500 backpacks filled with supplies to distribute to local area 6th graders entering middle school in support of the Great Khalid Foundation's 2020 back-to-school program. We're asking the community to make any monetary donation you can to afford to contribute. To participate to donate through the link at 600 ESPN El Paso, we'll be accepting donations through August 30th so that we can help as many students as possible. Town Square Media, 600 ESPN El Paso, and the Great Khalid Foundation would like to thank First Light Federal Credit Union, the Viva Auto Group, Julio Serra Allstate Agency, and Upper Valley Urgent Care for their support of this year's back-to-school program. Now let's go to more news. This is coming out of the NBA today and LeBron James as he won't be playing tonight against the Rockets as Lakers forward LeBron is out for tonight's game against the Rockets because of his right groin the team announced today. James who's 35 years old missed 27 games last season because of a groin injury that he suffered on Christmas Day and this season he sat out games in December and in February for the same reason. James has averaged 33.5 minutes in the Lakers' four games since the season's restart, scoring nearly 20 points a game. Now let's go to more news coming out of the NBA today. 76ers coach Brett Brown did his best to put a brave face on as he spoke to the media today, but in the wake of learning that Ben Simmons would be out indefinitely with a problem that he has with his left knee, Brown couldn't help but be upset. And that's a look at your Sports Center update. I'm Adrian Broaddus. Adrian, thank you very much. Voice of the Miners, John Teicher, joining us here on on Sports Talk. You can follow him on Twitter at UTEP Minor Voice. That's at UTEP Minor Voice. In fact, go Miners at Leo underscore Miners fan tweeted out a little while ago, John Tyser watching Breaking Bad. Didn't hear that one coming. Hashtag <laughs> pandemic. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. I don't know where I was. I don't know where I was during those five years, Steve. I, I truly missed it. It I, it was a treat, and it was fun to binge watch it too. I, to me, that's the way to do it. That's absolutely the way to do it. So maybe, uh, uh, maybe it was good in that respect. Hey, I noticed something else about you during the pandemic. Um, I've noticed that you've been more active on Twitter. You're you're following, responding a lot, and you're. I can tell that uh, it's starting to it's starting to get you a little bit. Uh, Twitter. Well, let, let's not. Let's not carry it too far. It's probably as uh, as far as it's going to go, Steve. But obviously, again, with all the the uh, the additional time, you've got uh, a lot a uh, lot more time to tw- check your uh, your Twitter feed as well. So uh, it, you know, it's something I've enjoyed, but uh, it too is going to have its limits. That's for sure. And let's be honest, Doc Sadler is one of the best follows you're going to get in terms of uh, college basketball on Twitter, isn't he? You know, I, I I had not been following Doc until uh, until recently, but uh, you know he's uh, he's just so colorful and so off the wall, and you never know uh, what uh, what's going to originate there. That's uh, that's been a whole lot of fun. I've really enjoyed that. John, have you had the opportunity to get out uh, to the field and uh, observe uh, the Utah football team working out as they get ready for uh, fall camp? No, they. You know, Steve, they've had walkthroughs. I think the last couple of days, they actually officially start practice tomorrow. I think we'll go out and have a look tomorrow morning, Saturday morning. I think they're walking through. I don't think they're going to go in shells maybe until uh, sometime this weekend, maybe Sunday, maybe on uh, on Monday. But, uh, you know, it's go time. I don't know when we're going to be playing, but, uh, you know, we got to start uh, determining how they're going to do things, how they're first is going to line up, and uh, and obviously with a new quarterback, whether it be uh, Gavin Hardison or, or T.J. Goodwin or Cal- uh, Calvin Brownholtz, uh, obviously it, it's going to be uh, fun watching that develop. If, Steve, I, I really believe if they can find somebody to be able to get the job done consistently as quarterback, they've got enough playmakers otherwise offensively that uh, this UTEP football team uh, on the offensive side of the football Certainly, I think it's surprise this fall. I really do. I'm with you on that one. You know, we had the opportunity over the last couple of weeks to go position by position each day with head coach Dana Dimmel. And he gave yeah. us about a four or five or six player depth chart on, on each uh, of the spots. And 
He saved quarterback for last, and, and I get it, and I understand why, but tell you what, I think that given the youth he has at the position right now with Hardison and Goodwin uh, and, and not knowing yet you know, what their development will be like in 2020, it's the ultimate wild card, but if they are developing um, and they're you know, able to accelerate that development this year, 2020 has a chance to be far better than a lot of fans would expect coming into this season. Well, when you talk about receivers like Jacob Cowing and, and Justin Garrett, both of whom had breakout seasons a, a year ago, Quadres Wadley after sitting out to all of last year's back, Deion Hankins, we're certainly uh, going to have the opportunity, I think, to see a lot more of him. Uh, this fall, uh, certainly there are some playmakers there that uh, this time a year ago, Steve, uh, I don't necessarily know that we could identify. So, again, if you can get that quarterback in play, if someone can develop at, at that position, I think the potential is there for UTEP to, to surprise offensively. I believe it. And... You know, that's the thing. Defensively, I think they're going to be improved as well, especially listening to the styles they're going to go and, and, and play with four down linemen at times and a lot of multiple, uh, you know, a lot of multiple formations, which is something that Dana Dimmel stressed. He also stressed that he believes it's going to be a much more disciplined club this year because it's year three now. And he's talking about how a lot of his players have had a chance to be in the system for a couple of years and uh, expects that to be a totally different look as well. Steve, the Miners have got to be more disruptive defensively. That, to me, is the key to the entire season. You can talk about quarterback, and obviously that's uh, it's very, very significant. But the Miners have been far too passive defensively for far too long. They have got to become a disruptive force, one that gets pressure consistently on the quarterback, creates turnovers, and gives the offense opportunity at times to have a uh, a short field, if not scoring themselves on the defensive side of the football. So they brought in a lot of transfers, a lot of uh, junior college talent, some size up front uh, defensively, and, and somehow they, Mike Cox and his troops have got to figure out a way to, to be more disruptive on that side of the football. If they can do that, again, uh, I think that uh, they can surprise in, in 2020. I'm with you on that one. Now, you dropped a little nugget on us earlier about how they could still be looking to put a game in on September the 5th. And I've been thinking a lot about it since you said it during the interview we've had together today. Because um, although I was pretty much uh, convinced 10 games is where it's going to go, I can see the fact that they would love a dress rehearsal against perhaps an FCS opponent on the 5th, work out the kinks if there are some, and at least come into the Texas game two weeks later with some film, some things to improve on, and hopefully a chance to have a, a you know a, a good showing for themselves in Austin. Yeah, I think how challenging uh, playing uh, Texas as your season opener with an inexperienced uh, quarterback would be down in in Austin. So, yeah, I think certainly the opportunity to have a, a tune-up game prior to the uh, game at Bill uh, K. Royal Memorial Stadium would be uh, would be a, a big advantage to you, Jeff. I'm with you on that one. As far as basketball goes, I know that seems like forever from now, but it's really not. It's uh, it's a couple of months away there, too. They're going to have an entirely different roster of, of newcomers coming in. They filled a lot of the uh, voids that they might have had last season at some positions, especially the point guard spot. And you know, the biggest question for me for basketball is, is going to be, will the season be able to start on time? And I think football, John, will have a chance to dictate a lot about what we could potentially see with college basketball. Yeah, I agree with that. And, uh, you know, obviously, too, you, you talked about the fortification at the point guard position, but uh, I'm sure Rodney Terry, with help from the minor uh, compliance staff, trying to get some uh, some waivers uh, for Jamal the enemy and, uh, and, and perhaps Christian Agnew to, uh, to have uh, immediate uh, eligibility rather than having to uh, sit out the season. So, uh, there's still a lot to, to be determined before uh, UTEP basketball gets underway. But uh, one thing I do know, Bryson Williams is back, and I think he's got a chance to be the Conference USA Player of the Year. And uh, and Sule Boom came such a long way a year ago too, Steve. And if he can uh, be a little bit more consistent with his shot this time around, uh, I think it could be a, uh, an interesting season for UTEP basketball as well. 
I think so, too. I think right now fans are definitely in that wait-and-see approach, but you know what? If things start out good and, and you start to see them mesh immediately with some confidence at that one position that kind of uh, blends over into the other spots, it could be uh, the kind of season that fans have been hoping for for a while, except this time they might actually get a chance to get it. I think, I think how special this season this could be again. You know, we're, we're all so starved for this, and uh, you know, if UTEP could show the improvement uh, in football and show the improvement in, in basketball that we all hope for, what a special season that would make this for UTEP uh, athletics. Obviously, there's always hope this time of the year. Let's see uh, how it all plays out. John, let's wrap it up with you on the news today that uh, UTEP came out with the Together We Commit uh, TWC, their diversity and inclusion program for the school. You know, everybody thinks of TWC as Texas Western College, but now TWC has an entirely new meaning uh, for, for UTEP athletics. I think it's uh, Together We Commit. Isn't that right, Steve? Am I right yep. with that? Together Correct. We Commit. I think it's a pretty uh, good piece of work that, uh, that the senior staff of UTEP Athletics has come up with here, Steve. And, uh, and obviously there was a lot of hard work to, and thought put into that in consultation with, uh, with students and with staff. And uh, I think it's something that's going to be uh, wildly, uh, widely uh, heralded throughout uh, intercollegiate athletics when, uh, when folks have a chance to take a look at this thing. I agree. If you haven't read about it, folks, we've got the story up on, on our website at 600ESPNElPaso.com. Adrian has the story. All right. John, are you ready for UTEP sports? Fans are ready. Are you ready to bring us back a, another big year of, uh, of minor athletics? Well, I'm just hoping we've got a game on September the 5th. The, the, the uncertainty is, uh, is a little disconcerting. So, uh, you know, it, we're, we're all creatures of habit. Even and for me, it's always what time is the game, what day is the game, and, and what time is the game, and that's what I respond to. And right now, we really don't have a day and a time for uh, for UTEP football. Hopefully, uh, we'll get there, but uh, uh, I'll certainly be ready to go whenever it is, and uh, and uh, and certainly looking forward after months of uh, inactivity to get uh, back to to what we do, and, and perhaps. Uh, bring a little enjoyment uh, here on 600 uh, ESPN El Paso to uh, starving UTEP minor fans. Can't wait for that, Tyce. Always great to have you back on the show. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll look forward to keeping tabs. And before you know it, it will be uh, UTEP football season. And until then, take care, and thanks for the time. All right, Steve. Thanks. Follow John on Twitter at UTEP Minor Voice. When we come back after Eric Elkin, ABC 7 News, plenty more sports talk right here. 600 ESPN El Paso. It's the start of hour number three here on Sports Talk. Welcome back, everybody. Steve Kaplow is with you along with Adrian Broadus. And right now it's time to talk some Locomotive FC football with head coach and technical director Mark Lowry. Back at home for El Paso Locomotive uh, Saturday night when they get a chance to host the Colorado Springs uh, switchbacks. And, Coach, uh, first off, uh, good to have you back on the show. You know, we listened to your comments earlier this week where uh, you, you talked about the Phoenix game. And I thought it was so interesting where you said that it was one of the best matches you've ever been a part of since you've been part of uh, Locomotive FC uh, and, and and what this uh, club's been all about. You outshot your opponent more than 3-1, to one, but like we see so many times in this sport, you came up on the short end of the final score. Yes, yeah, to be back, Steve, and you make a good point. I think this is the maybe, might be the only sport in the world where you can completely dominate in every way. Um, and, and but not on the scoreboard. So, you know, for us as coaches and, and players and, and folks on the process, it's important for us to dominate. Um, and sometimes the result is out of your control. So for us to go to Phoenix, who, you know, are recognized as the best team in the league, rightly so from what they did last season, for us to go there and dominate in the fashion that we did, I mean, I, I can't be anything but ecstatic, you know, with how the players played. Um, it's unfortunate we didn't win, but for me... From a, just a game standpoint, that was the best USL game I think I've ever seen in terms of two teams playing with high quality, playing
playing with identities and style and, 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 and aggressiveness and kind of both teams on the trying to get on the front foot and going at each other from an attacking sense. I think it was the best USL game in general that I've seen. I've actually had a few people tell me the same thing. And then from a locomotive standpoint, you know, um, our performance might have been one of the best performances I've ever seen from our group of players. Um, because look, and it's the same in any sport. You, you, you know, no offense to Colorado, but we expect to win on Saturday. You can beat those teams. But to be able to play like we did against the so-called best team, you know, fills us with a, a lot of pride, a lot of satisfaction, also a lot of kind of, you know, excitement because it shows that we're capable of doing it against anybody. When you look at the opportunities they had in your zone and mm-hmm. being able to convert, do you put that more in in terms of just Phoenix having a lot of finishers as attackers, or where were there some uh, definite defensive breakdowns in your zone during that, those opportunities that led to the goals? You know, I, I I can't put on defensive breakdowns because I mean we spoke about it before the game in terms of limiting Phoenix's um, opportunities and space to counterattack because. You know, with the Santa and Flemings, they're, they're very quick down the sides and, and they're very capable of scoring a lot of goals. And once again, when, when we watched the game back and we looked at the stats, Asante had one shot. <laughs> we restricted, the you know, arguably the best goal scorer in the league, the guy that was top of the, the, the shots and, and conversion rate in last season, to one shot the whole game. Flemings had three shots. So between those two, they only had four attempts on goal. But they scored two of them between those two. And I think that's the difference. I mean, that's a pretty high conversion rate. And when we go down and have 23 shots and only score one, um, it becomes pretty clear on maybe what the difference was between the two teams. Um, but I can't put it down defensive breakdowns because, look, Phoenix are a good team. You expect them to have a couple of shots on you, you know. Um, and we restricted, we restricted them to seven shots total, seven, one, one being the PK. Asante only had one shot on goal, and unfortunately he scores it, and, you know, I put that down to his quality. You know, he's, he's a top-class player. Um, we know he's capable of that. It might be just a little bit of, a, you know, an unfortunate moment that we're in where teams are getting one shot and scoring. But it's not Logan's fault. It's not the defender's fault because you're never going to stop a team from having a shot. That's just never going to happen. Every team's going to have a shot on you. But when you limit them to those type of numbers, you expect that the outcome will be a little bit more in your favor in terms of them not scoring three goals in seven shots. So... It's just an unfortunate moment we're in, but our attacking guys do need to to look at their efficiency and conversion in front of goal. And we spoke a lot about that this week, you know, trying to convert those chances we're getting into at least shots on target. And once you hit the target, it gives you a chance of scoring. Head coach Mark Lowry joining us on Sports Talk as we continue on the program. You know, you talk to people that watch a lot of football and are knowledgeable around the sport, whether it's fans or analysts. They'll all say the same thing. Your style is some of the toughest style in this sport to play and play well. And when you do it, it absolutely can make all the difference in the world. We saw that last season, and we could see it again this season. And the way you've set yourself up, you've got an older veteran club. They all came, most of them came back from last year, which I know is big for you. And clearly being able to demonstrate what you did against Phoenix and what you could very well do Saturday against Colorado Springs, Mm -hmm. I think you bring up a great point. You know, you get a lot of shots on net, that's one thing, but then trying to make them the kind of quality opportunities where the ball will go into the back of the net on more occasions, that's got to be the next step for this team on on the offensive side. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing with the style that we choose, Steve, what people need to understand is it's, it's a style that brings sustained success over a long period of time. Most teams in this league are hit and miss. And when I say that, I mean they can win any game on any given day, but it's, it's, it's hit or miss. You know, They'll win one week, lose the next. Now, we might not win every game. That's never going to happen. But what our style does, and once, it's, once it becomes consistent, and, and, and the players are, you know, at a level fitness-wise, you know, understanding-wise, where they can execute on a weekly basis. What it does, it brings sustained success. And we saw it last year. You know, five, six games in the season, the guys are getting familiar with it. And kind of once it clicked, we didn't look back. And it brought sustained results and success over kind of the, the final three quarters of the season, if you will, through the playoffs into the conference final. So you're not going to win every game. But when the style does work, you know, if we can get it right, it brings sustainability and results over a longer period of time, which is really what we're all about. We're not about that one-off result. 
We're not about just starting the season while I'm fading. We want sustained success over years and years and years. And, and that the only way to achieve it is by having an identity and sticking with it um, and making sure you've got the guys on board that, that, that can ultimately you know, reach that level and, and, and are bought into it. And we do here. Um, but yeah, like you said, the next part for us is he's hitting the target with those shots. We're getting in some great areas. We had out of the 23, I believe, 13 of them were from inside the 18. And so anytime you're having a shot from inside the 18, your chance of scoring goes up. So when we talk about shots with the guys, it's not shots from, you know, Hail Marys from, 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 from down the field or from, from ridiculous angles. It's, it's good quality opportunities, which usually come from when you're inside the 18. So we're, we're hitting all the marks. It's just a case now on those 13 shots inside the box, let's hit the target with 50% of them. If you hit the target with 50% of them, you usually score one in two. So they're the kind of ratios we're looking to achieve going forward. When you look at this club, we've already seen Gomez become a goal scorer. He did it last year. He's doing it again this year. Who else in terms of midfielders, attackers, do you see that really have an opportunity, in your opinion, to become a uh, you know a proven goal scorer for, uh, for your club this year? I mean, Dylan Mares is playing some really good stuff right now, and I don't know if people know this, but Dylan's actually ranked second in the whole of the USL right now on chances created. I believe he's at 16, and, and Asante from Phoenix is, funnily enough, one ahead of him on 17, top of that kind of leaderboard. So, yeah, Dil- Dylan's got the ability to create a ton of chances for us, and he's proven that. that. That leaderboard there shows you he's doing that, and he's one of the best in the league at doing it. And he also has the ability to put some away for us. We saw preseason, he scored some goals. We saw against RGV, he's capable of getting in there and, and, and finishing things off. So, as the games go on, I expect to see Dylan scoring more goals. His, his, his chance creation will continue at a high level. But, you know, right now he's played five games for us. He scored one goal. I expect Dylan's goals to game ratio to, to get better as the season goes on because he definitely has that ability. This week, um, you agreed to part ways with defender Fabrice Facobo, and instead you brought in somebody that you have ties with from years past, Matt Boehner, on uh, the defensive Correct. side of the ball. Tell me a little bit about Matt and what you think he'll bring to the club. Well, yeah, I know Matt from three, four years ago in Jacksonville, and just a great individual, a great human being. You know, he's everything we want in a, in a person when we talk about bringing players in from a character standpoint. You know, guys like him around the club only make the club stronger, you know. He, he, he's bought into the culture. He's a team-first guy, which is always important. And, and he has that experience and athleticism that were, you know, can only help you in the back line. And, and while we do have a great back line, we really do. We have one of the best in the league. You know, losing Brian, you know, and then one injury, you kind of get the sense that, that you lie back there on, on bodies and you're shifting things around and doing things you don't really want to do. So we, we've needed that extra strength back there for a while, the extra depth, um, and not just depth in a, in a, in a, in a body. It's, it's depth in a guy that when he steps on the field, I know what I'm going to get from him. Um, he's an incredible athlete, and I think people will be surprised when they see him play. You know, he jumps higher than anybody and runs faster than anybody, and, he, and, he, and he's capable of playing on the ball. So it gives you that kind of all-round defender that you need at times throughout the season, you know, like I said, if Chiro needs a rest or Brian's missing, you know, someone like Boehner can fill in there on the back line and, and you know, similar to what Drew's done for us. Um, and it's good to have those guys around. What's the latest on Brian's injury right now? He's actually doing good. Um, he'll be 50-50 for this weekend, um, which is better than we expected. You know, it's, it's a hamstring injury. So whenever anyone does a hamstring you worry it's going to become a four- to six-week type thing. But Brian was pretty smart in the moment when he felt the pain. He pulled himself off the field immediately. He didn't try and play through it. So he didn't do severe damage, which puts him you know, in contention for this weekend. I would say he's 50-50 for Saturday. Um, and he's probably 100% for the following weekend um, when we go to, to Monarchs. So that's where he's at right now. So, yeah, we're pretty happy with how he's come along. And, and you know, Brian's such a key, key, key player for us. You saw last season and... When he's injured, we definitely do miss him. How about the rest of the club uh, health-wise heading into Saturday's match? It's okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's as good as probably can be expected in a season like this where guys didn't get a chance to prepare. You know, we're, we're seeing some aches and pains from the trip this past weekend. Just, I think, 
first time being on the road, you know, driving to Phoenix and driving back after the game always kind of adds a different dimension to recovery processes and, and, and healing from after the game. So it's, it's not bad. Um, there's some aches and pains, but I think in a season like this where you're kind of given two-week lead time to really train and prepare and get going and, and no kind of practice matches, we're always going to have things like Brian, you know, little aches and pains and pulls and tweaks that hopefully don't 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 leave players on the side for too long. But it's something this year I think every club's going to have to deal with and, and, and try and manage the best we can. Which is why going back to Boehner is why you kind of need guys like Boehner around this year because you probably expect more injuries in a season like this. Mark Lowry with us uh, here on Sports Talk, uh, talking uh, Locomotive FC uh, football. You've got a big one Saturday against Colorado Springs. How important is it, especially knowing after Saturday, you go on the road for four of your next five matches? Yeah, three three points is massive. And getting getting back to winning ways is important for us. We started off well with RGV, obviously, then kind of stalled a little bit on the points. Um, the performances have been good, but it'll be nice now to kind of turn that performance into three points against Colorado here on Saturday. And we're confident we can do that. You know, Colorado will work hard. The blue collar team, they'll make it extremely difficult for us. You know, as teams tend to do when they come here, they know, they know we're a good team and teams raise their level and, and you'll definitely see Colorado do that. But we, we have confidence in ourselves. The guys, believe it or not, are confident right now because they can see their performances. And we're just waiting for that one game where we get to kind of light up the scoreboard ourselves a little bit, which we feel is just around the corner. And, once that happens, you, you might see this group kick on to levels that we just didn't see last season because, for me, we're very close to doing that. What kind of style should we expect to see from your opponents uh, come Saturday? Uh, good question, Steve. I think you're going to see a style that kind of wants to come here and kind of destroy things and, and, and ruin the momentum and, 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 and make it a little messy um, because... That's what teams like to do against us. You know, they like they know that we like to control the game. And it's very obvious what we want to do. So teams will come and try and do the opposite. And like I said, Colorado are a very workmanlike, uh, blue-collar team. They've got players in there that, you know, have got some individual ability. But in general, they, they're a team that, you know, when they do pick up points, they, they, they grind out those points. So we know it's going to be difficult. We know they're going to be, you know, they're going to give us their best shot. And, and it's going to be a tough game, but... That's what every game's like this season. The games come thick and fast, and, and, and we have to be ready for that. And, but like I said earlier, we know we're more than capable of three points and more than capable of a great performance with a few goals um, to put on the board. And, and that's, like I said, that's the next step for us as a team, to, to be able to do that. Is there one matchup in this, ma- in this game you want to highlight uh, that fans can keep an eye on as we get ready for it? I don't think there's a matchup you know, necessarily. I mean, we don't know much about Colorado. We haven't played them yet, and there are they're almost a completely different team from last season. You know, that, I think they've got one player there that, that, that was there last season, Jordan Burt, their captain, um, who's been there a while. So we don't really know much about them, you know, individually and what they're going to offer. This is the first time we played them. I'm just looking for us to put in a good performance as a team. No matter how we approach the game, what formation, what system, we know we've got business to take care of. And, and I expect our guys to, to execute and get it done this week. Fantastic. Again, 7.30, they kick off. It's going to be on the CW as well as ESPN Plus with Duke Keith and Michael Bolligan on the call from Southwest University Park. Coach, appreciate the conversation. Look forward to the next time we get a chance to chat. Love it, Steve. Thanks very much. Mark Lowry as we keep things moving here on Sports Talk. We'll come back with more. John Teicher, if you missed that conversation from earlier today, we'll have it for you next right after Charlie One in this traffic update.